Hello, I'm Susan Dunlop and welcome to episode 34 of Coffee and Contemplation with Susan. If you've not been here before, the podcast is about women sharing stories, you know, showing their human side, sharing the darkness and the light that results from their life experiences, vulnerabilities, successes, giving insights, hope, and maybe a smile to the listeners in the podcast. It's being listened to in eight countries so far, and it's been an absolute pleasure to have the guests on that I've had so far. Today's guest is yet another woman that I have come across in my path, you know, as in serendipity that I don't tend to go to many networking events. I network online with fellow coaches, but I stepped out to go to the International Coaching Federation's breakfast a while back. And as we did the intros, you know, I explained that, you know, I've just recently been coaching more and more girls in the uh, late teens, which was something strangely I had actually written into my mission about one of the areas uh, my coaching practice is going to focus on in future. And so in the coffee break, I, I met this young lady and she said to me, I really love to understand where you're taking that because her background is in working with adolescents. So today we are having Lucy Holland on to have a chat with. Lucy is also a coach, obviously, being at the International Coaching Federation. She has worked for 15 years in health and adolescent health. Lucy is a social work clinician, a researcher, an academic, and a consultant. In a social work capacity, Lucy has worked with individuals and families across the tertiary and community health sectors in acute trauma and community settings. And she's got specific expertise in social work, care and counselling with young people and families in the context of chronic illness and palliative care. And she's offering coaching services in those fields uh, with a specific focus on working with young people and parents. Obviously, we connected because you know, my interest is in helping young women set themselves up with self-confidence, the ability to say no to what doesn't serve them, even work in life skills practices. So I, I mix in life coaching with mentoring for the young women that I've actually served so far. So I'd just like to say welcome, Lucy. Thank you, Susan. Thank you so much for having me today. It's been a pleasure just in the last few weeks getting to know you a little bit. So today we'll get to know you a little bit more. Absolutely. So what I was thinking um, in relation to the, the work you're doing with adolescent health, quite often when we have guests on it, we always look at, you know, what did you want to be as a child or what led you to becoming this person that you are in your career? Look, that's such an interesting question because I think life takes us on many journeys and down many paths that we couldn't predict at the beginning. So I started out um, life wanting to be an architect or an air hostess, neither of which have eventuated because I'm very tall and my mum told me I was too tall to be an air hostess in heels on planes, which was probably very accurate. And I actually ended up with a real interest and passion in people and working with and understanding human behavior and the way people interact and live and people's values. So that led me down the path initially of studying psychology. And I got really interested at that point in child development and youth development, as well as the way the human brain works and functions. It's a fascinating beast that kind of plays a huge role in our lives and how we understand ourselves. So that really piqued my interest in adolescent development being a period of real unique human development and opportunity and uh, breaking boundaries and breaking down walls and um, that sort of thing. And I was interested particularly at that point in autism spectrum disorders as well. So my interest peaked in adolescence and then I moved country 
and found myself working in adolescent oncology, which was my first foray into the adolescent health sphere and adolescent chronic illness. And through that work, I observed real value in the way multidisciplinary professionals work together in the health space and a real interest in and perceived value in the profession of social work. So I went back and did some study masters of social work uh, and have ended up working in a combination of clinical and research roles and policy roles, really focusing on supporting adolescents who interface with the healthcare system to fulfil their potential, live their best lives and also look at trying to adapt the healthcare system, which doesn't well meet the needs of young people. It better meets the needs of younger children or older adults. So really interested in looking at systemic change too, to better include and support the voice of the young person and their family. Okay. And in relation to adolescents, what age bracket is it that you mostly work with? Uh, That's a good question. So we know the onset of puberty marks adolescents around the age of 12, although that's variable. And then the adolescent young adult years, which is my area of interest, stands up until about the mid-20s or late-20s when we consider that brain development continues up into the mid-20s. So even though we expect young people to be adults by the time we legally say they are at 18, brain function isn't fully developed up until kind of that mid-20s point. So where young people have huge capacity in terms of their brain, it's not necessarily what we consider adult. And the health system defines young people, adolescents, young adults as 15 to 25 because of these social and developmental transitions that kind of happen across that period of time. We talk about these processes of brain development. We talk about developmental processes. But you can have a 16-year-old who's got a, a child in a, in a in a relationship and has left school and has, you know, is looking at working or starting a career at, at a very relatively young age. You know, compared to me, I was still at home, you know, scraping by studying at university well into my 20s. So it's very individual. And I think probably that touches on a really good point that we, we need to support young people to live their life path and not be so rigid actually around the way the system expects them to traverse that development. Mm. Yeah, I'm very much on that individualistic approach. And I think that mm. I've seen that through I've got you know, three daughters, you know, they're now 30, 27 and 23, but they're all so unique in the way they needed to approach their career after mm. school. And it was okay to not have to stick to the structure of you must, must, must. I'm not really a rules girl, I suppose, but... <laughs> Well, it doesn't, rules don't work for everyone. That's by nature, you know. And it's probably they were different, I imagine, in the way that you parented them and what they needed from you as well. And, you know, we we are all so unique. So being aware of our individual difference and the way that we each need to navigate our own path, I suppose, is what I'm very interested in. And I think that there's opportunity to start to support young people to recognise that from earlier on so we don't get to adulthood and then kind of go, oh, crap, I've been following a system that actually doesn't fit me and it has stifled me in some way. Exactly. How about we do some clarity work on what the definitions of things are? Because I know when I have people come to coaching, they'll say, oh, I don't know whether I need a coach or a counsellor or uh, whatnot. So maybe can we just do a little bit of a, you know, if someone, an adolescent, was to come to you and you say, hey, I'm going to coach you or um, they need your, you know, you as a psychologist or as a counsellor or a social worker, what does that all mean to them? 
look, that's a very good question. And there is obviously overlap because all of those professions are about the individual and the human, essentially, at the end of the day. But there are distinct differences. So psychology is is very much focused on diagnosing and understanding behavioural, psychological challenges that people might face and then applying a combination of, I suppose, evidence-based interventions and therapeutic techniques to help people move beyond those. So you may be struggling with, you know, anxiety or depression or personality disorders or substance use complexities. And the way a psychologist would approach that is to look at what that diagnosis means and then think about what are some interventions that we can use. So often through talking interventions, so sitting down one-on-one and that's another commonality among the professions is that they're all talking based and look at, you know, specific kinds of interventions to help you manage your anxiety or depressive symptoms or whatever may be going on for you. Social work is a little bit broader than that. So social workers don't focus on diagnosing. So in a social work capacity, I would also, if someone came to me with anxiety that needed um, support and intervention, I could help from a counselling perspective. So what are some of those evidence-based interventions that I could use to support them? And some of those may be the same as a psychologist would use. But from a social work perspective, I would also be looking at what are the other things going on in your life? So are relationships tricky or are they supportive? Or is the home environment really supportive or tricky? You know, what are your education goals or your work goals? And what is some skill development we can look at doing there? You know, are finances a barrier or have you got the resources that you need to do the things you want to do? So social work has less expertise than psychology in terms of the interventions to support those diagnoses, usually, but a broader scope and a broader approach to understanding life and strengths and challenges. And then coaching, um, which you can probably talk to better than me, so um, is is really very strengths-based. So it's really looking at often there might be challenges, but we don't need to delve so much into the past. Where are you at at the moment? What are your goals? And how can we sort of recognise you being the expert in your life and me as a facilitator, as a coach, to strategize and work out, you know, how can you build on your strengths to get where you're going? So there is there's confusion because there is overlap, mm. but it is slightly different approaches and philosophies for all three professions because I find when I look at therapy therapy is about exploring the past and you know releasing something maybe that's come up in your past so social work sounds very much like coaching but is social work been around longer than coaching social works and the approaches that you would use are potentially similar um, in mm. your work with people social workers can have a variety of professions so They could be working as advocates to help people navigate the system or they could be working in child protection to actually look at child safety and um, enacting government policies around, you know, placing children with families or for the police or in the healthcare setting. You may be looking at kind of discharge from hospital. You use that whole framework, but there are different roles within that. Sounds quite diverse. Very. So you can work in an area of probably passion or expertise that you best can bring social work to. Yeah. I'm good. Thank you for that because I probably needed to understand that too. I'm not sure if it helped. The problem with social work is that it's a relatively broad and ambiguous kind of 
profession and there is overlap. So I'm not sure if that helps clarify. No, it helps me because I, I, in terms of, say, the, the girls that I have actually you know, spoken with and you know, their parents, you think, oh, I wonder what mix we could actually put together that would actually support them. You know, as I've said, like I've met you and there's obviously Sylvia we've met with the ICF mm. recently. How could we actually all three of us support in our own unique ways? So it just it was good to understand how would social work fit into that? Mm. And do you do therapy? There is a counselling. So the words kind of therapy and counselling really refer to those evidence-based talking interventions. So some examples of that are you may have heard of a cognitive behavioural therapy or acceptance commitment therapy or motivational interviewing. They're different ways to look at supporting people to change behaviour or overcome obstacles. Doing those things is what you would call therapy or counselling. So there are components of counselling and therapy within both psychology and social work. Psychologists, so the training for a psychologist is delivers them more expertise in that than the base, basic training for social work. Mm. And we didn't even talk about psychiatry. So psychiatry is? So psychiatry is, so to be a psychiatrist, you have to be a medical doctor. And then you specialise in mental health and psychiatry. And the difference between psychology and psychiatry is that psychiatrists diagnose, but they can also prescribe medication. So they have a medical approach as well as a counselling uh, approach that they can use together. Because it has become such a, um, you know, a social media thrown around um, type topic. So I think it can be quite confusing if someone's going, oh, you know, everyone's having therapy nowadays. But what does that mm. mean? You know, like, and is that really what everyone needs? So if they're going to go to, say, their GP to be referred to someone or come to look for life coaching, it just may be, be good to actually really set out what is the, you know, Parameter. what are the, the common ground or what's not common mm. ground. And so you're better off going in one direction versus the other or, or mixing it up. Absolutely. And often it's about, you know, it may be clear if, if you've got something that's a very serious mental health diagnosis that you may see a psychiatrist and a psychologist, for example. <clears throat> but it may be that if you have a life block that you're trying to move beyond or a goal that you're trying to move towards, you know, it could be that social work is of value or it could be that coaching is of value. And often it's actually about the fit. I mean, it's, yeah. like, a, it's like a little black dress, I say. You know, you've got to, you've got to <laughs> shop around until you find the right fit for you because um, not every little black dress is the same. But there is a little black dress out there for everyone. Absolutely. And everyone needs a little black dress. That's the other thing. So we have this stigma around mental health that, that it's this really hard thing we can't talk about. And I think it's changing. But the reality is we're all social creatures and we can't do life by ourselves and we all face challenges. So mm -hmm. um, to reach out and ask for support or a, an objective opinion or you know, someone who might think differently to you is, is something we all need. And I think we need to make that much better recognised. You can, you can see the benefits every day. Like any anyone that actually decides to just share that next bit of information with someone that's not going to judge them, mm. but have that, you know, a real conversation back and forth so that you can see they just breathe out and you think, oh, it is so good. Like if they didn't have mm. that conversation, it's just rolling around in their head constantly, you know, probably not sleeping well. You know, it's probably impacting relationships, Absolutely. work. Like, get it out. I think the whole thing is just get it all out of you and, you know, explore it, shrink it down in the light, I think. Absolutely agree. And we have this kind of false perception. Like, society tells us that we, you know, we see all the online posts of people being gloriously happy all the time and we have this expectation of constant happiness. 
in our lives and it's not the reality of life or how we're living or you know the one photo of gloriousness that you see of someone on holiday that's that's a fraction of their whole life experience we're going to talk about that Mm. so i'm actually going to get you on that in a minute so how about what we might move on to and thank you for sharing that knowledge i was thinking in terms of the darkness to light piece i asked you in that prep work you know for you to ponder you know what health or life hurdles have you personally faced and how did you overcome them so i thought we'll talk about that but i was also thinking in terms of you know this being a multi-generational audience and you know that you sharing your information for the sake of someone else. I've got some questions around um, that in relation to some young girls that I've been talking to lately in terms of relationships and whatnot. Is that okay? Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. So let's start with you though. So okay. health and life hurdles. Mm. <laughs> nitty gritty. The nitty gritty. Yeah. It's, um, look, being someone in a, when you're talking to other people, it's always easier to talk to other people about their stuff than it is to talk about your own stuff. Um, but I'm very happy to share it. So I think it's okay. It breaks down those barriers. Look, I've been really blessed in my life, to be honest. I my health has been good. I have a really loving family um, who present. We present challenges to each other um, often, but I think that's the nature of the beast. So, in terms of my health, I've been incredibly fortunate. I've been a nomad, so I've moved around a lot as a child and into my adulthood. So I think I, I worked out of you know, shifted house, I think, 14 times in the last six years or something like that. Um, Gosh. Lived in three states in Australia. I grew up and was born in the UK and then grew up in New Zealand, attended a lot of schools and then shifted to Australia with the intention of being here for, you know, six months and I haven't left 12 years later. So um, (laughs) it's that thing about unexpected life paths, I think. Probably my most significant hurdle um, was occurred about three years ago and was in relation to the breakdown of a major relationship for me. So was very committed and um, embedded in, you know, I'm, I'm 38 almost, so 37 now. At that point, um, of you're thinking about establishing a family and settling down and everything was heading along that path and I'd moved, I'd shifted as as is my want um, to be with my partner and we were establishing a life and became very financially tied and then that relationship imploded essentially in a very nasty way with lots of infidelity and, you know, challenging emotional environment and behaviours. So um, really my world shattered, which shattered my sense of, of self and my place and home and, it resulted in me moving again and really was a, a hugely transformative event in my life and one now which I'm so grateful for. But um, because of because I wouldn't have been where I am or who I am now without the experience. But honestly, three and a, three and a half years of devastation and, and recovery and, and rebuilding of self and sense of self and sense of self-worth um so i think one of the questions was how did you overcome that and that's a really tricky question you know there was it was messy there was a lot of drinking and crying and running away and trying to function and not being able to function very well and trying to see a path forward and it not being very clear 
but through the process, you know, it was about reaching out and connecting with the people that loved me and where I was safe. It was about learning to let go of things that no longer served. It was about learning to sit really with the emotions and not numb them, which is challenging when it's painful uh, and is still not not necessarily easy all the time. And just took t- it just took time. You know, identified the things that filled me up little by little, focused on, really focused on the positive and gratitude. And I read a lot from other people who've been through, you know, traumatic or similar experiences. And I saw their, you know, their insights about what helped or what worked. And it was a, it's a slow process of, mm. of recovery and and overcoming that. But it's interesting because it's almost like the shattering these things that happen to us, you know, I've worked a lot in grief and trauma with parents, you know, losing their young people or who have lost children or, you know, accidents and injury, all of that sort of stuff. And you see in those moments as horrific as, as they are and as this was personally for me, there is such resilience in the human spirit and we have such strength within us. And for me, the, the shattering that happened of myself and my external world as well, I guess, was was really the impetus for me to be to come together again and re, be rebuilt, but in a very different, very different iteration of myself. And like I said, mm. now I'm, I'm so grateful for that process because without that, the extremity of that event, the growth wouldn't have happened like it has. And certainly the gratitude took bloody ages to come to. You know, it's not like you you face extreme pain and you suddenly thankful like it doesn't work that way grateful <laughs> I can hold a pen in my hand is all I can be grateful yeah, yeah. for right yeah yeah exactly <laughs> I'm grateful for the glass of wine or the, you know the conversation with my mom or whatever you know whatever whatever it is but yeah. it, you know it doesn't work that way you're, you're angry and you're you know pissed off and it's all part of the human experience do you think there's an expectation by others for you just to get over it did you feel that at all because I find with young people who are trying to traverse this type of thing it's the outside pressure that they perceive yeah I think there there was I think there is I think there's kind of a sense of oh well when you're not in it yourself you know there it can be an expectation of oh well it's happened even you know for me a couple of years down the track it's like well you, you seem externally to have a, a new life and a new direction and I was in a new home and I was in a new place and yet the emotional re- rebuilding was still happening you know so yes I think there can be that expectation it's tough, but I think you almost have to ignore it. And the, the where you find you find your tribe of people that will almost just sit sit with wherever you, you wherever you're at, and not have an expectation that you need to be any different than you are. And when you need to yell, let you yell. And when you need to a hand holding, then doing that. And when you need to blow off some steam, doing that or whatever it might be. I'm a real introvert, so for me, a lot of it was about I retreated from a lot of people and a lot of things to be able to have the energy to determine what I needed to do and to you know to recover and figure out a path forward so for me actually it was really important to have that external support through a my I saw a psychologist and a counsellor and that was incredibly valuable to me because it was an objective space away from people that knew me where I could have unload or you know I and, and just seek that objective support I guess through the process 
And even to have um, a scheduled appointment that you know that that's your next time you're going. So you've got what you discussed today, which is like what happens with coaching. We always say that the beautiful work happens in between sessions. Absolutely. It's that sitting with what you discussed, let that settle, and then you move to the next. It's like just baby steps forward, isn't it? So Mm. even in what you've experienced, it must have been very many, many, many baby steps that you've had to go through. Oh, lots of baby steps, and then lots of baby, lots of baby steps backwards, and then starting again, and finding a new way forward, and then moment by moment, yeah, yeah. In relation to that, so I don't think we've actually had a, a guest on recently that we've talked about this type of you know a major relationship breakdown. I have had just conversations with young women recently, and I thought we'd talk about that. That you know that really Instagram image where like I see them down on Hastings Street. And they'll be sitting at a cafe table and not even paying attention to each other, but getting the selfie, you know, look mm-hmm. at me, I'm at, you know, Aroma's Cafe or whatever, but I think it's wherever, but I look at them and think, where are you here? Where are you? There's a lot of that type of imagery out there for their friends to see. And one young girl said to me, she said, you know what, now that I've actually had the guts to say no more to her relationship, she said if she could actually see the pictures, you know, in one hand, or the other. So one hand would be the good pictures of all the good mm. times and mm. the other pictures would be the other times. You said that second handful would be far heavier than the, the happy happy snaps. So is there anything you can, in terms of what you do with adolescents, to help people understand that sort of moving on piece or letting go, how do they sit with that space where they would love to have just had the boyfriend come over for a cuddle? Because that's the space I find I hear a lot is that I just don't want to have no one to have a cuddle with. What is it that they need to think of something different to do? Um, that's a really good question. I think we have we as humans are we're so programmed. We remember all the good, you know. Life, like I said, you know, we're in a relationship that's broken down. You hold on to the the moments and those those photos in that hand that were the Instagram moments that were the positive the positive components and we forget very easily the bad stuff especially when we're feeling the pain of the, the separation and the loss of the person in our life and all of that sort of thing i think there's a couple of things one is just recognizing and normalizing the fact that missing someone and wanting that company and solidarity and partnership is a totally human experience and not trying to dismiss that as yeah but it's not good for you and you've broken up and you should just move move on you know that same thing again you should just move on so okay well you know this is a completely normal experience and of course you feel that way you know why why wouldn't you you've got this huge gap in your life where this person was and are, are no longer so the first thing is just acknowledging and recognizing that and then it's actually about probably a discussion about like the instagram photo thing well let's actually talk about what was the reality but you're allowed to miss this in the person in the cuddle, but what actually was the reality of your relationship and what are some strategies you can use to, A, hold on to the reasons that this has ended for you? So how can you remind yourself when you have those moments and you, you're going in your head telling yourself the story that it was wonderful and you're going to those Instagram photo moments, you know, how can you remind yourself that actually you're worth more than that relationship and you will find something better and it's not what you wanted for these reasons. You know, and I've used strategies like I write myself a list and I put it on the bathroom mirror and I see it every morning, you know, because I had, our mind has this magic way of running away with the what ifs or the what could have been or really, really stuck in the past stories of, of our lives. And I think 
reminding ourselves that it's just our mind running down a track to stop that thought process and actually remember something tangible. Go look at your bathroom mirror where you've stuck a bit of paper that says, this is why and these are reasons are valid and I'm going to instead focus my thoughts on what I can do today to, to fulfil that plan, you know, fulfil the bathroom mirror plan. Because even you were making me realise the amount of people I've seen who've been in that stage, I think my parents were, um, well, they're in their 70s, dad was 80, but they were just on that cusp of you must stay together mm. no matter what. The older generation, which is you now my husband's parents, they did stay together no matter what, mm. where my parents did that breakaway. But I could see the pain of mum believing that the relationship was more than what it was. But then over, you know, bit by bit, she'd chip away at realising that wasn't good and that wasn't good. Mm. But, you know, but they that's, a, that's probably a role model that you now even generationally we've all sort of grown to watch going, oh, well, they've put up with it. That's okay. You know? Oh, God, absolutely. Yeah, well, yeah. if you've seen, if you've been in a, in a family where there is violence or where there is, you know, disharmony or you're, you're modelling for what a relationship should look like is not ideal maybe, you know, then kind of it's setting those foundations for what does a healthy relationship look like and what do you want for your life and is, is this fulfilling both of you in the partnership? Mm. And I love that exercise, actually. So it's like I can imagine sitting down with someone in front of them going, okay, well, let's make a list. Like what's in the Instagram good pile and what's in the, you know, the crap photo pile of actually the reality of the things that weren't so good and let's balance it out. Like let's look yes, at yeah. that this didn't work. So in relation to that too, what you said earlier in terms of your own um, recovering, the tribe was important because I think also if you're looking at what the Instagram crowd are watching in terms of your friendships, if they're mm. seeing all that happiness, they're not seeing the part of you that you're skipping, you know, all the, the reality. No. Um, so it's hard to find support in a, a group of um, connections versus a real tribe. I completely agree. I actually, I had to take myself off social media altogether, which mm. may in this day and age sound dramatic, but A, I didn't, it, it's, it's not real. You know, one of the, one of the realizations that for me out of my experience was really solidifying what are my values and, and what am I striving for in my life and what is real and what is not. And what we see on those platforms is not real. It's not about our innate humanness. It's not about really, you know, capabilities or capacities that fosters this comparison and the sense that we're less than all the time. There's always someone prettier you know got more money having more adventures having more fun than me you know doing other things that I want to be doing and and that's the reality of the world it's about identifying what's what's your life what do you want your life to look like actually and so for me I had to block out all that external noise to, to mm. see clearly what that looked like so that's the key there's no real connection or community no. or network of support or um, for young people that you're working with do you ever give them some ideas on how to break that social media connection and find that better connection yes I mean and I think the first the first bit of like young people are smart right like they've, they hmm. know they know the benefits and the drawbacks of social media they can think outside the box. They're not yet really so confined into so and socialised into thinking that life is, you know, sometimes as adults we're so on this path to more money, more success, more hierarchy, you know, more hierarchy. 
we're so socialized into that model. And the more we have, the more commitments we have, the more we're on that track. So, you know, young people are aware often and they're really intelligent, but it's actually just about, I think it's about a values-based conversation. You know, do you, do you actually think this is real? Like, is this, what do you actually want from your social connections? And, you know, do you want a tribe or do you want to be famous? You know, maybe you want both, that's mm. okay, but actually let's understand what this platform offers in terms of the level of connection and what a tribe or, you know, real community and relationships might look like. And then sometimes it's about skill development around how do you find those people, your tribe, how do you find those people and how do you start having those relationships? Because we have been so disconnected and particularly with COVID, you know, by necessity with had to communicate and connect online. So sometimes it's about skill development and actually planning around how, how that might look. Yeah, so skill and, development sounds smart. I think that's, hmm. yeah, I, I, I can see that. There's someone I follow, Green Supercamp, and she always uses that hashtag, the kids are watching. And <laughs> you know, it's about that the role model space too. So, you mm. know, I suppose, so yes, interesting. Yes, I, I wasn't presuming that kids aren't smart, but I was thinking, ah, but it's actually that we're more socialised in our 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, that the, these platforms are where you go to actually connect now. Mm. You know, maybe it starts with us to disconnect from those, those type of spaces and show I'm a different model. model differently. I completely mm. agree. It's interesting. Like I was working with a young woman and her mum and the young woman, I was working with her because she, they were eating, just in concerns about body image and eating disorder and those sorts of questions being asked. It was amazing how many comments mum was making completely subconsciously about, oh, man, I feel fat today or, um, you know, about herself that wasn't about the the young woman, but role modelling this behaviour and attitude about appearance really is the my priority and it really matters and I judge everything again. How I feel is how I look. And all these comments that were kind of being role modelled to this young woman so I think that's lovely that hashtag the kids are watching mm. for us to become more conscious of what we say you know even because we say it all the time you know oh god my pants don't fit or I'm you know I'm not going to have that because I feel fat today or I you know we just we we don't think it comes out of our mouth but actually what's what's messages that sending to our children so if you could set up a role model course, you could just get that going. That'd be great. Lucy. Okay, yeah, I'll work on that. Well, I think, <laughs> I, to be honest, like if by years of in adolescent health, it's just no one teaches you how to be a parent, right? Like no one tells you this is how a child develops and this is how a child's brain develops and this is what happens when they hit adolescence and this is why they take risks and it's neurologically programmed in their brains and it's normal. You know, no one teaches that stuff. And so I think it's as much about supporting parents who are often trying their absolute best to navigate these really tricky developmental processes, but they've no, they're not empowered to do it. You know, there's no, no. So. and as you said early on, that there's that space where I think I, I mentioned to you earlier on, it's at that hard place you get to when the kids are leaving year 12 and you're getting discarded as a mum at the same time as sort of moving into menopause and everything's like, oh, 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 I can't cope. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to do this anymore. And just have someone to actually lean on and go, oh, am I normal? Is this yes. okay? What yes. is one thing I could do this week that might feel like I'm actually being successful again would be really useful, you know? Well, and often the other question is, who the hell am I at that point? Like you've been oh. raising a child for 
18 years and focused all of your energy and attention on making sure that little person survives and grows and does the best they can, you know, they fly the list. So you're like, man, where is, I, I don't know who I am. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm, you lose by necessity and out of love often. But we said it, we tend to kind of, it's a really tricky moment in time. It is. And I said, yes, I, I felt it, but yeah, it'd be, it'd be nice to be able to support people through that more. And like even some of the parents oh, yeah. that have actually referred, you know, their, their kids to me, I think, God, I would love to actually you know, support them more in a different way, even just to do like how we do coffee and contemplation, just to go and have a coffee with them, just to just let them vent it all out, even for you know the absolutely. Five and minutes. you're like, this is totally normal. Like you're not yeah. going, you're not going crazy. You're among the masses. Like this is this is completely <laughs> understandable, and this is all normal. Yes, um, and we and we all grow from it. Whatever came about, whatever happened. Exactly. Yeah, I think we are. What I might move to is. What would be the most valuable advice you would give seven-year-old you mm. that you wish you'd received from your own mum when you were seven? Look, I was so fortunate, I think I said before, totally blessed in my life. And I did receive this from my mum, who is a bit of a rebel and, a, and an anarchist, which, which I love. And she told me not to believe anything that anyone told me. And that is the exact same best advice that I would give a child. And she meant it in the context of, you know, we all kind of the stuff we've been talking about we see these images on social media and we compare ourselves and it makes it it tells us even if it's not verbally telling us it tells us that we're not good enough or we should be better or we should be more or etc etc and we enter the education system where there's this arbitrary testing so you you're high you know you're ranked in this hierarchy against grades the education system doesn't fit most children very well because it's not designed to support development it's designed to program us into <laughs> fulfilling the goals of the curriculum so within that hierarchy we're told that if you're not an a student you're not at the top of the run then you need to do better and you're not good enough so the best advice my mum gave me was don't believe it don't believe it we all have you know, unique human potential mm. um, what the system tells us and what other people or we the messages we take from the world about our value aren't true. We all have the capacity and the capability to achieve, you know, to our maximum potential and that's the focus that we should have. You know, what is my contribution? What is my path? What's going to bring me joy? How can I support and bring joy to others? So don't believe it. You know, and she used to say, and the same thing here, you know, question me, question me on what, what I tell you and what they say to you and, you know, oh, that's good. Really develop that critical lens and that, that ability to really think about and question. And to think in terms of that, like you know, to to think how can I and what can I do, you know, like because the opposite is, well, what if I don't try all that? There is something that is uniquely you. What is it that you're having the guts to go, you know what, no, I don't care. I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to give it a shot. Or actually, you know, I agree with you that I don't want to be that thing that you're telling me I can't be anyway, but what I do want to do is this thing. I don't want yeah. it, so why does it matter? You know, it's, yeah, what's my unique path, I guess? We're, we're going we're to finish off on your favourite mantra or quote that oh, gets yeah. you by in hard times. This was a hard one because um, mm. I have so many. So I've got this scrapbook full of poems and quotes. I love the poem Wild Geese by Mary Oliver, which is essentially about this thing we've been talking about and flying your own path. And if by Rudyard Kipling is the same, you know, standing in your own power and forging your own path. And I have some favourite quotes. I think leap, leap and the net will appear, which I really love because often 
if you are forging your own path, we have to be brave. You know, there's, we have to be vulnerable and we have to be brave and we have to take a step. And we might not necessarily know what the outcome is, but if we're trusting our intuition and, you know, it's not hurting anyone else and it feels like the right thing, you know, be brave and, and the work the universe provides. So, you know, we take a step and we take a leap of faith. And, and if it's really based on that intuition and um, feels like the right thing, then things work out. I mean, I couldn't have, I couldn't have told you six months ago so that I would be sitting here in front of you and it's such a wonderful thing to be you know living where I am and sitting here with you and forging these connections so you just you don't know but if you leap then it will appear yeah because what can really go wrong I mean all you're going to do is really learn from something anyway you know so absolutely and then you leap again do you take a different step in a different direction and you try something mm. try something else mm. Mm. I keep getting ready to leap but Leaps involve planes for me, so I'm having to behave a lot more. But I could always leap and start flapping my wings and see how I go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'd recommend a parachute in that case. So, Lucy, I think that was a really valuable conversation and it was it went different places to where I thought when we first started chatting. But uh, um, you and I have got many, many conversations to have as we roll out what we're thinking we can help people with in, um, in both our spaces. So absolutely lovely to have you on today. And um, thank you so much for sharing your story for um, other people's benefits. Thank you so much, Susan. Such a pleasure to talk with you always. Another woman creating change. So listeners, I hope you got something out of the conversation with Lucy this morning. Uh, there's something there to contemplate across even understanding just a simple thing as what is social work. In terms of coaching, coaching is very much forward focused. It does go back. We, we step backwards first into doing some deep foundational work. And that takes you through the space of understanding the limiting beliefs that you may have that you've you know gathered up over those years. The, it might be time to release now. So I can help you in coaching. That is what I do. I work with young women through to, at the moment, I've got clients in their 60s. A lot of the work I do is across both a woman who owns a business possibly and life or is starting a business or is setting themselves up to make a big change in their life. So please don't hesitate to reach out if I can help you with coaching. Lucy and I are going to continue our chat with another coach who's absolutely incredible as well, who works in career coaching and through another organization working with girls and boys from 11 years up. So I'll keep you posted on that in my blog. Uh, the blog is available on my website, you know, www.susandunlop.com.au. And I'll leave you with that for the day. Thank you so much for listening and I'll speak to you next time. <music>